Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Chris Otto, here to talk all things Wimbledon on Tuesday, July 7th. The semifinals are set both on the men's and women's singles at Wimbledon. It was a tough day for Roger Federer, who was knocked out of the draw in straight sets by Poland's Hubert Herkacz. Federer handed a six-love set, a bagel for Federer, in what could very well be his last ever set at Wimbledon. That's one of the topics we'll be talking about today with Tennis Now crack staff members Eric Gudris and Richard Pagliaro, who are kind enough to join me for this edition of the podcast. So what about Mr. Federer? Will he ever be back at Wimbledon? Will he play the Olympics later this summer? Will he be at the U.S. Open? A lot of questions that need to be answered. Meanwhile, the tournament goes on. Novak Djokovic, 19 Grand Slam wins and counting, is into the semifinals. He'll face Denis Shapovalov as his quest for the calendar slam heats up. We've also got Matteo Berrettini facing Herkic in the lower half for the men's semis. And the women's semis are also mouthwatering. Ashley Barty and Angelique Kerber and Arena Sabalenka and Karolina Pliskova. Those should be great matches. We're going to talk about them all. We're going to look back at some of the great moments from the first nine days of Wimbledon. And it's time to get to the interview right now. So why don't you listen up? I'll see you guys on the other side. Eric and Richard, pleased to speak with you. Let's talk some Wimbledon. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful. It's good to speak with you guys. Very nice to speak with you. A lot has gone down in the last um, nine days. And, well, why don't we start from where we're at right now? Roger Federer has just exited Wimbledon, losing to Hubert Urkacz. 6 3, 7 6, 6 love. Federer out in the quarterfinals. Instant reaction. Richard, you got some thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that he lost. I'm stunned the way it went down, the six-love third set, which I believe that's the first bagel he's ever taken at Wimbledon. It's his first straight-set loss at Wimbledon in 19 years. And uh, it just flipped so quickly. And I mean, my reaction was he's in the tie. I mean, first of all, he's up 4-1 in the second set, so you're thinking, yeah, he's going to level it. And then he loses the break, and then... You know, from two all in the tie break, I mean, that's one of the most horrific tie breaks I think I've ever seen him play at Wimbledon, where you just don't see him lose it, especially in the front court like that, where it just really got away from him. And then the third set, he just wasn't really competitive in the third set. So it was sad. It was really poignant to see the reception and, and the standing ovation and his response to that. And, you know, I think like he said in the post-match press conference, he's, you know, he's got a put things into perspective got a lot of thinking to do to assess where he's at i'd be really really shocked if he played the olympics you think wow um eric um federer suffers his first bagel at a slam since he lost to nadal in that 2008 final which was 6-1-6-3-6 love if you're scoring at home tough outing for roger you saw his press i'm sure as well what do you make of it what's next in your opinion um yeah it you know, he obviously, you know, was trying to balance the emotions of, you know, he said, in, you know, in some ways he was pleased to reach the quarterfinals considering he hasn't played that much. And that's, that's true. And of course, balancing, you know, emotions that he, of course, wanted to go deeper in the tournament and sort of this kind of similar what we saw also when he lost in Hala earlier, like balancing the emotions of 
him wanting to win and then just not being able to to find that next gear. And I thought it was kind of interesting and telling that not just from the physical standpoint, but he was also saying late in that match, just mentally, he was really trying to fight hard to stay in there mentally, which you never hear from Roger Federer. So again, I think, like you said, he's going to have to go back to his team and kind of reassess what he wants to do with the rest of the season. You know, the Olympics, you know, with all the, the regulations and the protocols and, of course, Federer being upfront about him missing his family during Wimbledon, that might be a bridge too far, especially if he just kind of wants to rest up and get ready for the Open. Yeah, that's a good point about him having trouble keeping it together mentally, staying focused. It just feels like there's a little part of him that is just just not there anymore. Whatever it is, all those years he was such a – magician under pressure you know the big points at Wimbledon were just his forte and it's strange to see it happen but it's I think we all know it's inevitable it's bound to happen at some point and really if you look at what he did at this Wimbledon he actually was quite successful given all that he's gone through to get here winning four matches making the quarters today wasn't his day and I just think sometimes now when Roger Federer is 39 if he does continue to play we're just not it's going to be more unpredictable than it ever has been before and there's going to be what we call clunkers happening but yeah he didn't say much about the Olympics you're right so Richard what makes you feel that he's definitely an out for the Olympics just the the protocols the way it's going to be the fact that he feels probably has no chance of winning or no time to recover in time or all of the above I think it's a little bit of all of the above, and also, as Eric said, I think being away from the family, this was the first Wimbledon of his life that he spent in a hotel rather than a house with his wife and his kids. He's a really, obviously, really tight with his family. I think that that's going to play part of it. And also, if he does decide, look, you know, as you said, he did show some good signs in the tournament. You know, here's a here's a foundation I can build on. Then then you're going to be building for the Open and. For the hardcore season, to me, it just wouldn't make sense to go to Asia, take that detour, and then and then come back. Although you could say even financially, you know, Uniqlo is his sponsor. Obviously, that was always a big yeah. thing that they wanted him there. But I, I just don't. I just think he kind kind of needs a break to uh, to put the grass in perspective. And I think Eric hit on a good point. He, you know, if if you if you watch the presser, he wasn't saying. I mean, obviously, he's coming off two knee surgeries he's 39 years old but he wasn't saying physically i can't do it he was he was talking about the mental challenge and also just i think that improvisational magic that we all expect from roger Federer. he was saying there's stuff 15 20 years ago i just did that came naturally now it doesn't happen anymore so i think he you know you got to sort of uh He's got to mentally accept that the things that he was able to conjure before, hmm. they're not going to be there now. And, and how do you compete without that? You know, especially you saw that at net where he's so instinctually so beautiful at net with reactions. It just wasn't there today. Yeah. What do you guys think he's, is going to happen? I mean, it's, 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 let's uh, start this conversation by saying it's purely speculative. It's just us kind of wondering out loud what's going to come next for Federer. Do you, is there a small chance that he'll retire? Richard, what? What do you think? Is he, is he going to play the U.S. Open? Will he pay, play in 2022? Uh, my, my gut feeling is he will play the U.S. Open. I do think he will, but that could just be hopeful, you know, wishful thinking on my part. I think any, any, everything's on the table, but I was encouraged that, you know, he, he definitely sounded disconsolate, obviously, understandably. Yeah. But he did make the statement, the goal is to play. I mean, he wants to play, and I think he got the buzz from the crowd, too. I think that really energizes him, and he knows how beloved 
he is and how important he is and as far as the game, the status of the game and also just the growth of the game. And I think he does want to play, but it's just if Roger Federer can't be Roger Federer consistently, is that enough? You know, is that enough for him? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think he only he can make that decision. My feeling is, yeah, I mean, I, I hope he does play the Open. I think he will, but I, I wouldn't, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Eric, what are your thoughts? Uh, similar to that, I mean, I think, if, if he can play and thinks he can play at, at, a, at a level that it, that he is used to, I think it's it's sort of similar to what we're seeing with some of the other players like Andy Murray and Serena. Yeah, they're reaching this stage where the will to win is there, but the body is you know not allowing that for various reasons. And I think for these players, it becomes a question of. If they don't think they can win another major title, is it worth it to them to stay out there? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the question about what, especially for Federer, especially for Serena, um, they are they they want to win major titles, and if they just feel like that it's not going to happen anymore, I just don't see either of them competing for the sake of competing. Yeah. But that's a decision that every individual player has to make. And also today, I think you saw he actively, he was really trying to shorten the points. And he got to a point where he's like, I can't hang with this guy from the baseline and the longer points. I just can't. I'm not winning these longer points. I got to shorten it. And usually he's so accurate with the serve, he can play the one-two serve forehand. He just had a lot of trouble shortening up the points today. And now if that's something going forward where he has it in his head, look, I'm not, I'm not here to grind. I've got to play really electric offense and finish these points, six to eight shots, then you're talking about reassessing your style, and that's a whole different other conversation as well. Yeah, he didn't win many points on serve, to be honest. 40 of 60 of his first serve points, that's just 67. And he won 11 of 33 of his second serve points. 13 service games, broken five times. The most unfederer-like numbers at Wimbledon you could ever imagine. And it's tough to watch. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, um, and and you know, and Hercard, you got to credit him. I mean, he stayed calm, and he's a he's a tall, long guy, long reach. He put a lot of returns in, but oh, yeah. when you're better and you're used to getting those free points on serve, and they're not coming, you know that that's a that's a scary place to be. Yeah, I think I, I do just want I do just want to add. I think Hercard just played a very professional, very, very comprehensive match from start to finish. Yeah. He certainly could have been overwhelmed by the situation playing in the quarterfinals against Federer on center court, but it, it did not seem to affect him at all. He just played the ball. And yeah. just uh, in that second set that could have gone Federer's way, he just he just stayed focused. And all credit to him, he just played just solid from start to finish. Yeah, and I think that's a key point because he didn't come out playing like, oh my God, I got to play over my head. I got to play on a scale of 1 to 10. I got to play a 15. He came out saying, if I play a good, solid, you know, good good quality match, I can win this match. So I don't think he did anything outrageous, but he did everything really well. And like you said, he was really composed. And you have to feel that him beating Medvedev, that he had to be thinking, look, if I can beat the number two in the world, the guy who was just in the Australian Open final, then I can beat a 39-year-old superstar coming off two knee surgeries who had a tough Halle warm-up. So I think that had to be a big boost for him. Yeah, he played ex- extremely well. I'm glad you brought that up, Eric. He's a, he's, a, he's a fascinating young player. When he's at his best, he's certainly a thrilling to watch, like we saw in Miami and we've seen at other points in his career. He, he I think... 
I'm going to check this, but I believe, and, and not many people have spoken about this, or maybe I, I've just missed it, but I think he was riding a six-match losing streak coming yeah, into Wimbledon, right. right? Yeah, which is yeah, Which is just was. utterly remember ridiculous. Remember Monte Carlo, he didn't even get the question in the interview. Yeah, you're right. Six-match losing. And also, I think, you know, his doubles prowess, he's such a good doubles guy that when they had some of those net exchanges in the, in the second set tiebreaker, he knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, he's not nervous at net. He knows what to do. Yeah. That, that is just remarkable. He, he lost to Evans in second round, Monte Carlo, Millman, Madrid first round, Musetti first round at Rome, and he retired, actually. Lost to Stricker in Stuttgart on grass. Lost to Botic van der Sonschulp and Roland Garros, so I got those a little backwards. Uh, anyway, he lo- I think he also lost to Felix Ogialiassime on grass first round in, in Halle. So it's just crazy. And so he's not super consistent, let's say. But damn, when he's good, he's good. So good on him for reaching the semis. Um, briefly, let me just mention that the semis are set on both sides of the draw. Men's, we've got Novak Djokovic, the top seed, riding his 19-match Grand Slam and 19-match Wimbledon winning streak, facing Denis Shapovalov, the number 10 seed, in his first Grand Slam semifinal. And then we've got Berrettini, who took out Felix Auger-Aliassime moments ago in four sets. He'll go against Hubert Hurkacz in the semifinal on the men's. Then we got the women's, of course. One that I'm dying to see is Ashley Barty, the top seed against 2018 Wimbledon champion, champion excuse me, Anjali Kerber. And then the lower half is Karolina Pliskova against Arena Sabalenka. Another one I'm dying to see. Where do we start, guys? Wanting, Eric, pick, pick where we should start on these four semis. Let's talk briefly about them all. Uh, let's just start with the ladies since they're playing tomorrow. Um, you know, you know, after all the upsets and surprises, uh, you've got a final four that's just really stellar uh, between you've got the top two seeds and then you've got Angie Kerber, who is, is sort of resuming the form that we saw from her a few years ago when she won a couple of major titles. And then you've got Karolina Pliskova, who is, is a surprise for some people, but I think uh, she was playing well on the, in the clay court season, and so you could tell there was some some form building there. You know, she got blown out in that Rome final, um, but uh, so and I think it's just very intriguing uh, matchups as well between uh, you know, uh, Barty and Kerber, kind oh, yeah. of the all court game, and then of course she was just going to have the power players with Sabalenka and Pliskova. So. Um, it's both exciting semifinals and um, still kind of a toss up between both of them, actually. So, yeah, tough to call for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about both of those semis for several reasons, but I love what's happening on the top half of the draw. I love that Anjali Kerber is back 10 straight wins on the grass. She took a total a title on uh, home soil at Bad Omberg and has just ridden that momentum and been absolutely fantastic at Wimbledon. Um, she played, I believe, the longest match of the tournament, and that was in the um, where was that? That was in the second round against Sarah Sarib Tormo. She got through that one in three hours and nineteen minutes, and she's just been resurgent. It's just like the old Angie. She's now thirty-six and eleven lifetime in Wimbledon. She's she's third in uh, among active WTA players in grass court wins. I love the way she's playing, and Ash Barty, of course, has backed up her number one seed. 
and looked fantastic. She always seems to find a way to win. I think there's another gear from Ash Barty that we haven't even seen yet, but it's great to see her in good health after what happened in Roland Garros. And this this matchup, of course, I'm going to let you talk about it in a second, Richard, but it's like a fantastic kind of tactical, um, you know, two really crafty players on the grass. Kerber with those deep knee bends and the way she can counterpunch. Barty with the way she can spot serve and use the backhand slice, which we don't really know how much effect it will have on Kerber because she's so good at getting low, but they're both such great players and, and their games are so suited for the grass. So, Richard, is there anything you could pick up on that might be a key in this, in this uh, matchup between Kerber and Barty? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, Kerber is just red hot on the grass right now, and I think you hit all the, all the right notes on her. I mean, she gets so low to the ball. The swings are so compact, even when you bring the heat, like Coco Golf brought the heat. You know, a few serves over 120 miles an hour, she's able to put everything back in the court. And for me, the, the match is going to be about if she can impose her leftiness and really swing the ball to Barty's backhand. That's her weaker wing, although she's used yep, the slice yep. and the drop shot beautifully off the backhand this entire year. I mean, not just this tournament, but I think that's the one area. If you can if you can force her to try to pass you with the backhand, you can get some errors. It's just Kerber's naturally a counterpunching player. Is she going to be able to get in that mindset of take the initiative but i think that's a that's a grand slam i mean that's a phenomenal match i'm so excited to see it and like you said i mean kerber being rejuvenated winning that war her 13th career title at warm-up in germany on home soil also the torben belts they always seem to bring out the best in each other and she has that calmness around him and she's got if you can beat serena in a wimbledon final you can beat ash vardy in a wimbledon semifinal so you can't counter out i would lean slightly toward vardy just because she's been the best player all year in her game i mean 10 years after she won the wimbledon girls her game is a is a beautiful grass game because of the, how she can play high low with the slice play heavier with the top spin and she's right now you'd have to say the best server i mean and that's saying something because pliskova and and sabalenka are great servers obviously serena obviously osaka but i mean you look at her serving numbers she really backs up the serve. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Eric, I'm going to pass it to you, but before I do, I want to lay out a couple little statistics. Um, if I, I was kind of scanning and looking for maybe an edge that Barty could get in this match, and I thought it was against Kerber's first serve. She's only won six. Um, she's only won 69% of her first serve points. If there's a way to attack Angie, it's through that first serve. And you're right about Barty, Richard. She's an excellent server, though Pliskova is really tops so far through this tournament. And we know that could all change in one match, especially against a returner like Irina Sabalenka. But Pliskova has won 42 of her 45 service games and leads the four remaining players at 93% service games won. I think Barty's down at 81%, but you're right. I love the way she can mix and match that serve. Um, the one biggest weapon I see in this matchup is the forehand of Ash Barty, which has been phenomenal throughout the tournament. I think she's got like 68 winners off the forehand side, which is pretty remarkable. Um, I'm just rambling now, Eric. I just want to hear what you have thoughts on this matchup. 
Yeah, I, I also just wonder if there's going to be a little X's and O's between the ears in terms of Angie Kerber coming in here. As you said, she's been the red hot player on, on grass this season. And Ash Barty kind of in this position as the number one seed, the number one player, and a little bit of pressure on her to kind of, uh, I guess, back that up with another major title. And I think that that could be interesting, especially if it gets into a third set, because I still think that's a bit of a question mark for Barty. Obviously, she's won so many events, uh, but there's still that little bit of a question mark about in in like a semi of a big event in terms of, and she's the favorite, and she's expected to win, that we've seen her kind of falter. So I'll be curious to see if that is a factor in this semifinal. Mm-hmm. I like that point. I think I, I, in my mind, I envision this one possibly going beyond six, six in the third. I hope it does. Um, let's let's switch quickly to uh, Pliskova and Sabalenka. I mean, it's been a great tournament for Arena Sabalenka. It's her 15th Grand Slam. We were all waiting for her to reach that first quarterfinal. And when she did, she blasted through and made the semis now. And it looks like really she's in a position to potentially the way she's playing, win this title. Richard, what are your thoughts on how Sabalenka has finally been over, been able to uh, crash through that wall? You know, we were, we've talked beyond previous podcasts. We all said she, she has the ability to be a Grand Slam champion. It's her head, you know, that the pressure that she succumbed to. So for me, a huge turning point was early when she played Katie Bolter. She was down in that match, down a set, had the British crowd against her, and that's like the old Sabalenka maybe would have you know, hit her way out of the tournament and just imploded there, and she got it together. She won that match, and then the Jabora win was huge because Anz Jabora was having the tournament of her life, and she can also mix up the paces, which can be kryptonite for Sabalenka. So I'm encouraged that she's, every challenge, she's met it. Now, you're playing a red-hot Pliskova who's not dropped a set the whole event. I think Sabalenka's, maybe you can make a case she's played tougher opponents, but uh, they're past history has been a great one i mean they've been both she's won both matches but both have gone three sets and both could have gone either way so pliskova's definitely obviously a lot more experience having played the 2016 uh u.s open final having made the semis at all four majors so yeah, that's, that's a impressive. big big boost for her and like we said you know sabalenka can get very emotional and very fragile but i think just game wise if she can just Stay calm and just play her game. I think her game is a bigger game right now, and I, I would give her a slight edge. And I know that's a reach because of you know she just doesn't have the, the experience, but she has won slams and doubles. I think if she can keep calm, she can win this match. Mm-hmm. You tipping Sabalenka also, Richard or Eric? Sorry, um, I would I would pick Sabalenka. I agree with what Richard said. I think that I think a lot of this again is going to may come upon. Uh, like uh, Sabalenka feeling the pressure to take that next step. She's been under pressure to take that next step at a major, and now she's doing it. So now she's going to be feeling pressure to reach the final. And Bliskova has been sort of playing under the radar this whole tournament. And totally. that's, I think it's been great for her. I think there's all, you know, a couple of years ago, all the conversation, why hasn't she won a major yet, all that. And so she's just sort of um, been able to, to play the game and look, when Plishkova is serving big and can dominate from the middle of the court, I mean, she's almost impossible to beat. Now, I think Sabalenka has bigger weapons and more variety than Plishkova, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to come down to if Sabalenka gets into a situation where she's firing a bunch of unforced errors, 
at the wrong time, as we've seen before, and she gets frustrated, and that's when Plishkova's experience could be the factor. Mm. So I, I think it's going to be a little bit about the power, but I think it's going to be a little bit, again, uh, the experience that Plishkova has in these in these. In I think I think um, I think in this way it might actually help Sabalenka that it's going to be a bang bang kind of match where maybe that's good for her that she's not going to have a lot of time to think and dwell on this could go right this could go wrong it's just going to be you know more grip and rip and yes. I think she's got an edge on the backhand I think her backhand's a better backhand if she can be patient and just she just tries to force these flat shot when you see her hit three or four into the net she's forcing it if she can just you know, stay in that zone, clear, take the net out of play. I mean, I think she, like Eric said, I do think she has more weapons, but Pliskova is obviously much more experienced, and she's won more titles also in her career. Mm. So she knows what it takes to win. Yeah, I was impressed with Arena's backhand in the last couple of rounds for sure. There's a couple stats I could point out that are that are interesting because Pliskova has been serving lights out, has been holding serve better than anybody else in this tournament, but she hasn't been that great protecting her second serve. She's won uh, 47% of her second serve points, and that's a key matchup for me because Sabalenka has been just just demolishing her opponent's second serve. She's winning 62% of second serve return points. She has 25 return winners in this tournament. The next best would be Pliskova with seven among the four remaining players. So I think she's really going to have to make a decent amount of first serves in the court and and she's going to have to really rely on that more than because I don't think she's going to have much success with her second serve unless, as Eric pointed out, Arena is misfiring and making a lot of errors, and that would be that would also be detrimental to Sabalenka's chances. But I'm kind of I'm liking the vibe of both players. Uh, Pliskova has been really loose and really fun in press, and just like like you, I think you're right, Eric. She has completely benefited from being under the radar in this tournament. And I think she's in a really good place. There'll be a lot more pressure. I think she's finally going to be on center court for the first time in this tournament, and Sabalenka has been pretty comfortable with that so far. So. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be hard hitting. It's going to be smash mouth tennis. So, I mean, it's we've got two excellent semifinals and we should consider ourselves blessed. And for all the talk about top seeds falling in the third, before the second week, I think six of the top 10 seeds were out before the second week. While the women's side looks very stable with what we have right now. Again, Eric, you pointed that out. We've got the top seed. We've got a former champion. We've got the second seed. And we've got a former Grand Slam finalist, the number eight seed, who's always been pretty dangerous on grass. So I think people have stepped up and performed on the women's side. Same on the men's side. When you look at the top seed, a guy by the name of Novak Djokovic, who just so happens to have won 19 straight win to uh, 19 straight matches at the Grand Slams. What's going on with this guy? Does Denis Shapovalov even have the slightest bit of a chance to take him out on Friday, Eric? Well, as Denis said in his post-match interview, you know, the, the match will start at 0-0 and anything is possible. Yes. <laughs> that's certainly true. That's true of any tennis match. I like the attitude. Um, and... I I think that is that I think that's the best attitude that Dennis can have. I just I just don't know what he is going to do to disrupt Novak Djokovic unless he perhaps serves and volleys all the time and can be effective at that. But I, I just don't know what he's going to do to disrupt Djokovic because Djokovic has just seemed so dominant and so just so comfortable um, throughout the fortnight. Um, Barring some strange 
turn of events. I, I just don't know what Dennis is going to do in, in that match. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Richard, t- talk me through this one. Um, Chapo's 0-6 against Novak. He's taken him to three sets one time at the ATP Cup. It took a set off him at a slam once, but, you know, it's been pretty one-sided. Is this a different Dennis Shapovalov this time around? Will he at least make it closer than those previous six meetings? Uh, you know, I think he he's more comfortable on grass, and he you know he's he's an explosive guy, so he, he's there's always a chance he can light it up with some winners. But I mean, to me, it's Novak in three or Novak in four. I think Dennis he would have to have like a Stan Wawrinka type performance when Stan beat Novak and, and Roland Garros at the U.S. Open, and by that I mean he'd have to really drill a lot of backhand winners down the line. He'd have to hit forehand. I mean, it would just have to be like a winner festival, and that's really really hard to do against arguably. The, the best mover who's ever played the game. I just don't. I don't think he can hit enough winners, and I don't think his net game right now, as it stands, is is polished enough where he could go all out. Let me just try to grip and rip and get to the net. I don't think that would work. So I think he'll, you know, he'll definitely he'll hit some big shots and he'll play some exciting points. But I, I think as Novak's dominated the, the rivalry, and I think that will continue. Mm. Just so our listeners know about what we're talking about is true with Denis Shapovalov. He's played just four matches, one less than everybody else because he had a walkover. But he's got 39 backhand winners, which is um, 10 more than Djokovic has hit in his five matches. He's got 75 forehand winners, which is 26 more than Djokovic. So he is teeing off and he's doing it to great effect. Uh, he's been pretty consistent, pretty steady. That's what he's going to try For to do sure. against Novak. Miles Pratt, it's one of the biggest forehands in the game, no doubt. I mean, he can hit winners from anywhere. I just think, and one of his other problems is on the return, you know, Novak has that safe space going to his backhand because he has a big backswing on the backhand return. He's not like a Federer where he, or a stand where he can just chip it low and short. It's not really his go-to play. So I think Novak, if you look at the way he served at Roland Garros and the way he served in spots, not consistently, but in spots here, his serve is really elevated yeah. his serve. I think that's going to be a problem unless Novak's tight and throws in a few doubles. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think Dennis is going to have to play the perfect match. He's capable of um, rifling through a lot of service games with the serve plus one and with the with the the size and the power of his ground strokes. He's just yeah, it's it's a it's a huge ask. Um, I don't know, Eric. What do you think? Regardless of what happens in this match, what do you think of the performance of Denis Shapovalov at, at, at Wimbledon and his, and his overall progression? You know, it's a guy that entered the match as a 2016 Wimbledon Boys Champion, but yet had only won one match at Wimbledon before. So either way, pretty nice run, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And I think that um, his not being able to play the French Open actually may have helped him just to get acclimated to the grass quicker. And his game, I think, actually is much suited better to the grass. Uh, he's such an exciting player to watch. And again, like talk about the progression as a player. So I think this is just the next step for him. And, um, uh, you know, just a next step for him, you know, in his career to, to potentially winning a major title, not this year, but uh, down the road. Mm. How about a future Wimbledon final between Shapovalov and OJ Aliassime? Potentially could happen in one of these years. What do you it guys could. think? They, they both look pretty damn good on grass. Yeah. Yeah, and look, let's not forget, Dennis had a big breakthrough at the U.S. Open last year, the quarter, so he's built on that progression. Yeah, they both have looked really good uh, during this grass season. Yeah, and that takes us over to Matteo Berrettini, who just defeated Felix Auger-Aliassime, knocked him out in four sets. Berrettini, 10 matches in a row now after winning Queens um, into the semifinals. He'll face Her- Herbert Hercotch. Um 
Berrettini's been, I think he's 23 and five lifetime on grass. It's pretty obvious this is his surface. Richard, talk to me about what you see from the Italian. Do you think he's the lock to make the final? I wouldn't say lock, but I would say he's a, he's a solid favorite, and, and I don't like saying that flippantly because Hubie, I feel like we all have the whole world underestimates him, and yep. he's such a nice, mellow, humble guy that people just overlook him, and look what happens when you do overlook him. He can beat anybody, but for me, Berrettini, I mean, you can make a case he's been the guy on grass. He's undefeated on grass this year. He's got what? two grass titles because he won one before Queens and he's got the biggest weapons in that match which is the serve in the forehand I believe he leaves a tournament in aces and the forehand is just massive especially when he may, when he has you on the run and you're trying to chase it down I just think he's more explosive than Hubie but Hubie served great today against Federer he served really well but I just think Berrettini that's his match to win and also you know we've seen him shore up the backhand it used to be you go after his backhand he has a really developed a really nice low slice he, he could come in behind it yeah. he can vary the uh the depth on the slice hit it short angle it and he used all that at queens and he's really in a zone right now and uh i'd expect him to get through eric you a barrettini fan oh absolutely and um just to add to what richard said i think the thing that's impressed me the most is actually barrettini's return um, he has been returning phenomenal this tournament. In fact, if you look at the current statistics in terms of first serve receiving points one, he is tied with Novak Djokovic hmm. for 96 each. So his return um, may be the key, not just in that match in that semifinal, but if he likely will face Djokovic in that final, that's going to be super key for for him and I, I actually thought Berrettini was the one to reach the final in that in that part of the draw and um, I think if anybody is going to potentially challenge Djokovic it's going to be Berrettini because he has he has the serve he has it for him but it's the return as well and that's that's going to be key so and also that he saw him at the French Open I realized totally different surface but he has seen him in the last month he has felt his ball he's played against him that's got to count for a little bit well eric what have yeah. you seen on the return is it it's maybe i'm guessing i haven't seen that much of his tennis overall but i'm thinking it's the chip return that's getting him into points or how is he doing i it? think i think he's just anticipating apparently he's just reading serves very well it's not just the chip return if he can get the forehand and really launch that he's just anticipating serves very well and I think that's, again, him playing on grass so much. And uh, I, I think it's the anticipation um, that's really, really been key for him to get into to service games with his opponents. And uh, I think um, I th- if, if he does reach the final against Djokovic, that's, that's maybe how he possibly can pull off that upset. But yeah. um, that's what's impressed me the most. Yeah. Richard, you make a good point about him. He really did push Novak at Roland Garros. That was an impressive match. And I think he'll, I think in general, he's building off confidence in his whole grass court season. I just want to briefly correct Mateo did not play anything before Queens because I think he was too late at Roland Garros this year. So he, he just played Queens and now he's got the five more victories at Wimbledon, making it 10 straight on the grass. But either way, it's a, it's a, I think he's building off what he did 
and Roland Garros and pushing Djokovic there just got him into pretty good shape. He was uh, he was strong all clay. He's this guy is good on all surfaces. He's a he's he a, really is he a, really is. And I think if you look at his feet, his footwork, and his movement, he moves great. And he's a long rangey guy. He knows how to use the reach, especially on the running forehand. He can just wail that shot. And he, <laughs> so strong. It's really exciting to see him move. He's not afraid to come in either. I mean, I agree with Eric. I think that would be the best possible final. It would be a, yeah, that's, I think that's the one we're expecting. But again, we're overlooking Hubert Hercatch, and I can't wait till he proves us right. all wrong because he's really a talented, amazing young uh, young talent. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in that semifinal. But yeah, Berrettini's been really impressive. It's been nice to see guys really just short grass season. We didn't know what to expect, but a lot of players showed what they're capable of on the surface. And that's what I want to ask you guys next. Um, I had that question kind of lined up that. You know, we said goodbye to a lot of players that were incredible at Wimbledon over the last few days. We lost Onze Jabor, who I think a lot of us kind of fell in love with for the 20th time at Wimbledon this year. <laughs> Some people for the first time, maybe if you're a more casual viewer. But, I mean, what was the best performance, Eric, that you saw from a male player that's no longer in this draw? Was there somebody that you were particularly um, excited about or moved to see? Um, I, I mean, just two, and they're both Americans. I, I, uh, Sebastian Corda, um, certainly impressed again, um, uh, showing the progression in his game. And I was also just pleased to see Taylor Fritz out there again, uh, oh, especially after the, uh, the, the knee issue that he had and, uh, just bouncing back so quickly. So, um, for me, those were kind of the two impressive performances. Um, especially heading into the uh, the U.S. hardcourt swing. Yeah, Sebastian Cord had built himself up with some more momentum. He hit such a big ball, such a clean ball, and statistically you have to be impressed by the fact that he's the first ATP player to, or just the third ATP player to reach the second week at both Wimbledon and Roland Garros on his debut. There's only two other players who did that, Mikhail Pernforce in 86 and Bjorn Borg in 73. He's a fast learner. Quite obviously, he knows he knows his way around a grass court pretty well too. Richard, you put that same question to you: Who's out of the tournament now, but impressed you? And uh, I, get, I won't allow you to use those two twice. So you got to come up with some new ones for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to say a uh, guy I, I'm guilty of overlooking a lot is Fuksovic today. You know, even though he didn't, you know, it was a straight set loss. Just his road to get there to beat the guys he beat. You know, he beat Schwartzman. He beat two top ten seeds. He beat Schwartzman. He beat Rublev. I thought Rublev for sure was going to win that match, and I was wrong. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he just doesn't, he, he does everything Djokovic does. Djokovic just does it better. So it wasn't a super competitive quarterfinal, but I think he can look back with a lot of pride at what he achieved in this tournament. He beat really quality, quality players. Yeah, that's a great point. He's, he's, he's always there. He's he's. He's a cool dude, and he looks he looks super good on grass. I think it might be his best surface, actually. And, and to finally beat Rublev after Andre being in his head all season long, yeah, that was quite an achievement for him. How about Francis Tifo? And Felix, you know, I think Felix also building on what he did in LA and also that he yeah. had to get over the hump against Zverev has been a roadblock for him Big his whole pro, pro career to, to pull that out. A lot of people thought Zverev could go deeper, and, and uh, you know, it was a good win for him. I'll give you a couple that, that didn't go as far as maybe they would have liked, but I love what Francis TFO was able to step up and energize everybody in the first couple of days of the tournament by beating Stefano Tsitsipas. Also showing us just how good he can be on this surface. He's um, He has a future at Wimbledon if he wants to you know, keep growing. Um, Andy Murray, 
the guy's amazing. I, I love this man. I love this. I love this man so deeply, and it was so great to have him push his way into a third round matchup with Dennis Shapovalov, and um, that didn't go his way. But I think just having him in this tournament, seeing him on center court, watching him engineer a little bit of a comeback, and and just have that that positive energy again, I think could go a long way as to you know kind of bringing him back into the fold, getting his ranking a little better giving him a little more confidence so he can make one last push in his career. We'd all like to see that, I think. So, I mean, having Murray a part of this tournament was a very special part of the first week. I also like the performance of Dennis Kudla, who's always, you know, we're, talk, we're kind of talking to, you know, about American players right now, but Kudla qualified, and he's proved, proved it again, and he's a very tough out on the grass, and he actually was very good against Novak Djokovic, particularly in that third set when he took him to a tiebreaker. So good performance. He had a set point. He had a set point in that. Yep, he sure was. Yeah, and the same question back to you, Eric. Uh, Women's side, somebody that we've lost and that we already miss and can't wait to see play again. Um, I'm just, you know, I was nice. Muguruza, I'll say this. I I, I, always Muguruza on on Wimbledon. I, I feel like... She's always a factor and um, didn't quite do it this time, but um, I'm just hoping that she stays healthy um, and can put together a nice, uh, a nice rest of the season. And, uh, of course, Crickle Goff, uh, again, a great tournament for her, a great progression in her career. I think uh, there's so much expectation and um, hopes for her, but I also think that it, you know it will all come in good time. And I think everybody needs to be just be patient. And I think she certainly is. And um, I think it will all it will all happen for her um, very very soon. But again, a, a nice a nice progression for her this this Wimbledon. Yeah, of course, Coco reaching the round of 16, backing <laughs> up her performance as a 15 year old qualifier and running into a red hot Angelique Kerber and playing her pretty tough really losing 6-4 6-4 there was a lot of good tennis played on the grass by Coco and it was impressive to see her ramp up that serve she hit 125 in her fourth round match I mean if she's going to keep adding MPHs to that serve look out for her even before she turns 20 Richard yeah yeah, she's I mean, she's one of the most exciting players in tennis. I mean, sign me up. Any match she plays, you want to see it because she can beat you so many ways. And she, like you said, she has a live electric arm, but she's also got beautiful touch. She'll play the drop shot. She's a really nice one-handed slice. And she'll come in. If you watch her play doubles in this tournament, she'll come in on anybody. So she's, And I also like her, her pressers that she's able to really step back and objectively look at what she did right, what's a work in progress, what she did wrong. I mean, for someone that age to be that level-headed where she's able to separate the emotion and really sort of uh, delineate her whole, the, the, the whole range of her game. It's, she's, she's very bright, bright, bright lady, so I look yeah. for the best for her. And another one that really I, I was happy to see is Muhova after the big Australian Open uh, run that she came back to reach her second straight Wimbledon quarterfinal and beat some really quality players. She beat Georgie's Tough on Grass. She beat Pavlia Jankova, Paul Bedosa. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a great match against Kerber, but she, she had a nice run, and I just like her style, the all-court style. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I think she's going to have a bright future at Wimbledon. She looks good on the surface for sure, and obviously good on the other surfaces too. My my names I'd throw out, you know, one of my one of my kind of pet favorites is Iga Swiatek. Um, round of sixteen again. You look at it back. You're talking about a, a 
she was a teenager at the beginning of the season. Now she's 20, but backing up a really special title at Roland Garros last autumn. What she's done is reached fourth round Australian Open quarters at Roland Garros, round of 16 at Wimbledon at a surface she's not super comfortable at, even though she's a junior champion. I think she's really handled the first week of all those slams really well, and I think it bodes well for her long-term future. So I was very, I'm always very pleased to see her deal with it and just kind of, you know, give herself chances to, to go deeper in the second week. And though it hasn't worked out again here at Wimbledon, she was steamrolled by Owens Jabor in the second and third sets. It's still a good effort by her to keep herself in the mix and, and kind of just keep her footing early in week one. I think that's a good sign. If, you know, if she's going to get through week one for the next, you know, five, ten years, I think she's going to probably win more Grand Slams. And I also was impressed by Krachikova to get that, to, to come back and continue a winning streak and win a few matches here on grass, though it didn't go, she wasn't able to push it further. Um, you know, it was nice to see some consistency, some of these players that are winning slams in the last year. Especially her, you know, winning the singles and doubles in Paris and then not having the preparation. I mean, she should really hold her head high. That was a great, great performance I felt from her. She should. And you know what, though? They lost today. Krachikova and Sinyakova fell to Kudermertova yeah. and Vesnina, so, yeah. so she'll, she'll get a... Goes. Yeah. She'll get a well-deserved rest. Viznina's still going. We've got some good doubles here with a new team of Shea uh, Su Wei and Mertens because Sabalenka wanted to back off. And, of course, Strichova's not in the game right now. Um, so we move on. We've got exciting stuff happening. I mean, semifinals starting tomorrow. Obviously, we can't wait. we got our alarms set. I don't know. Any, any other parting shots about Wimbledon this year? There's a lot to talk about. We didn't even touch on uh, 18-year-old Emma Raducanu who had a very interesting journey to the second week and a, a bit of a bizarre ending. Were there any lessons learned from that experience? Does anybody want to touch that one? I think partially that was due to the UK media getting hyped up and amped up as they always do of about course. young UK talent and adding to the pressure um, but they add to all their players when they're competing at Wimbledon. Yeah, it's tough. So I think that was part of the equation. And um, but that's that's what the UK players face when they play at Wimbledon. Yeah, especially when they go through the first week without dropping a set. Which <laughs> what is that? Never happened. Youngest woman, youngest British woman, never reached the second week. She was pretty fantastic, and it just stuff just got to her. I guess it was a very. Um, kind of a halting halting to watch and a bit mysterious. Um, I just hope that it's something that she can bounce back from. I'd like to see more of her. She's certainly a ranked 338. She certainly showed some great tennis. A lot of controversy came out of that one. I don't know if it was all necessary, but I guess we put it behind us and learned from it. Any thoughts on that one, Richard, or, or did you have something else? Well, I was going to bring up the controversy that you wrote about really well was the ostapenko Isla Tomlanovic match, which, oh uh, you know, it – because for that to happen at Wimbledon, you know, you think of the state sort of uh, cathedral of tennis. I thought that was really cool that it got raw and it got real. And uh, they both <laughs> said their piece. And, you know, you draw your own conclusions. But I respect both of them for being so candid and upfront. And this is what it's about. They're both playing for high stakes. And uh, she objected to the injury timeout and she called her out on it. I, li- I kind of like seeing that and to see it at Wimbledon. It almost seems more profound. And also today to see the crowds back and how much... Uh, you know how much life and how much energy the crowd's praying it's it's really exciting yeah Stepanko and 
Tamjanovic, that was an injury break taken at 4 nothing, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? Before yeah. Tamjanovic was to serve? Is that how I can't? I'm almost so fuzzy on the details yeah, now. So she much was going to serve it for us. So her point was, if you're going to take that, you do it. You don't. You don't do it then. You do yeah. it on the natural break or before your serve. You yeah, know, they aired it out. I really respected yeah, the way they both did. players handled it. Handle like, it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that though because it shows that they're both gen. You know, they're they're genuine people. It's authentic competition. You like to see it. Yeah, that's the stuff but that fans that usually also- say. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Is that also part of Ostapenko's reputation? I mean, that's kind of what yeah. Tom Lovitch is kind of saying to her. I almost she was expecting it to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Because of Ostapenko's re- reputation. Yeah, but good on her. Well, also that I think it was raised in the post match that Yastrzemska had pulled a similar thing on her, and and I think it was her saying, "I'm not going to be victimized anymore. Like if anyone's going to try to pull anything, I'm going to stand up and call it out." Yeah. Which uh, I respect that. I respect that from her. But it, you know, standing Plus, up again. And- Go ahead. You're good, Eric. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> I just said, <laughs> I was just going to say, but standing up and calling her out didn't work because the injury timeout was still taken. And, and she was basically just overheating there. But but she handled it well, and, and she took care of the match, the most important thing. But, you know, it's better to put it out than just carry it around. Oh, my God, she's pulling this on me. Yeah, you know, if you don't want to just stand there and seethe, you know. So yeah. she was able to get it out it's there. It's good and, to vent. And, and, but I like again, to bring the crowd into it, too, you know. Yeah, people enjoy but that. But again, the, yeah, the injury, the injury, the quote injury timeout is still misused on both on both tours. Yes, um, and uh, it's one of those things. It's this gray area. Like, are they injured? Are they really injured? Are they just stalling for time? It's it's still misused and it's still used as a tactic. And I don't know if there's a way for the tourists to the the you know have it be be more legit, but it's, yeah. it's still an issue. Yeah, you're right, Eric. Yeah, but I don't think there is a way. You don't know someone, you know, you don't know the state of someone's condition. You really don't. You're not in their body. You can't tell for sure. So yep. it's a tricky call. That's that's the part I think is the most tricky because in this day and age, we're more about being open to people if they have issues, take, letting them have time to take care of them. And it would be awful cold to just say, well, we don't think you're injured enough. And, and, and the players know that they're going to be trusted, like that nobody's ever going to say, nah, you're not injured. You, you, don't, yeah, you don't get the physio. Right. And then they all know that they can talk the physio into something more serious, like it's really ripping on my, you know, my, my quadricep or whatever. So, so there's t- it's too easy to get away with. But, but then how do you stop it? Because otherwise you're really forcing people to ignore their injuries, basically, which is – I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, it's been going on for so long, right? I think I have that memory of Sloane Stevens and Azarenka and the Australian Open. Was that 2012 yes, or 13? Yes. I remember going way back. Hengis used to pull the bathroom exactly. break a lot. That was like the timeout <laughs> card. Just bathroom break. I need a bathroom break. What are you going to say? You can't go to the bathroom? You know, you can't say that. I guess it's all part of the fun. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know really how to finish this other than say that we should have mentioned uh, Owens Jabor a little bit more because she was one of the players that um, – not only played well, but just played in such a manner that was really beautiful to see. It was great to see her tennis work on the grass and like the fact that she does, she doesn't only have touch, she's also got like incredible amount of power. And like for the first time in my life, I really thought of Owens as a potential Grand Slam winner. I hadn't seen that before. I knew she was really good, really talented. I love her story being the first Arab woman, first Tunisian women woman to break all these boundaries. But I really saw her as a potential Wimbledon champion this week. She was very impressive. 
Um, so I just yeah, I agree that. with you. And you know that Muguruza match, and also you know when she threw up and to come back from that, and and I mean she there was one match I think she hit over twenty five drop shots, but like you said, she lines up the forehand. She can really rip the forehand, and she served really well. I mean, I thought going into that Sabalenka match, I thought she absolutely had a shot to win the match, and it was a three set match against the number two seed in the tournament. So she had a phenomenal tournament, and you see how beloved she is by the other players, just the reaction of the players and the crowd. It's beautiful to see her get that kind of reception at this point in her career after so how, how many years she's put into the sport and how hard she's worked to see her sort of reap the rewards now. It's really satisfying. Well said. And I also think it was good that uh, Wimbledon definitely topped Roland Garros in terms of saying farewell to Carla Suarez Navarro. They did it right, and tough draw for Carla, but she got into three sets with Ash Barty, and the crowd gave her the love she deserved. That was nice to see. I mean, nothing against Roland Garros. Things just didn't work out there at the empty stadium when when her match finally ended against Sloane Stevens. This was a much better thing to see, and I hope I hope we get to see her win some matches at the Olympics. Absolutely. Uh, last question. Last question is about this guy named Djokovic, this top seed on the men's side. He's got 19 Grand Slam wins consecutive and counting. Do we think Novak is going to win the calendar slam? Who wants to take it? Uh, do I start? Sure. <laughs> uh, yes, but as we saw at last year's U.S. Open, anything can happen. Literally, anything can happen. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I, again, he will be the he will be the supreme favorite um, to do so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, it, it, even if he doesn't win the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, just just all the the pressure and the the media attention and everything that will be added to that. That will be something to watch. That will be crazy, Richard. What do you think? I think he will do the, the calendar slam. I'm not sure about the golden slam because the Olympics is just so much. Pr- He's such a national hero in Serbia. And remember the Rio match against Del Poe. It just gets so, he, he just wants it so bad. I think the Olympics could be, plus it's going to be a weird situation with the bubble and all that. But yeah, I do think he, he can do it. And I think winning, if he does win Wimbledon, you know, then he's even, he's going to be even more motivated for New York because he knows now I'm the king of the Grand Slams. If I win, you know, assuming he wins Wimbledon, he can go into New York with that mindset. And, um, yeah, I do. I do think he's a favorite because you look at Rafa will be coming back, hopefully recharged, but he's just dominated him on in the big hardcore events for, for years now. And Roger didn't show a level right now that would look that, that, that he could take him out. And he's had Medvedev's number team. We don't know what where teams at and since the pass went out first round i mean i think he knows the time is now and i think he's gonna he's gonna seize the moment yeah yeah it's gonna be very interesting if he gets these next two matches well where it goes from here it's uh it's you gotta admit he's he's been impressive jeez who do you think who do you guys think is the biggest threat to stop him if you had to pick one guy like medvedev or rafa and who would you say you know either 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 here at the open or at the olympics I mean, maybe Berrettini again, but, yeah. um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe Nadal, if Nadal is 100%. Um, I also think it could also be a player that kind of can kind of, uh, even like a Shapovalov or somebody that can kind of attack the net and kind of disrupt him that way. But it, it's going to be tough. 
Yeah, I think it'll take two things. One, it'll take a bit of an injury, and then it'll take a, a powerful player like a Zverev, maybe a Medvedev, or, a, of course, a Rafa. There are some guys who could do it, but I, I feel like Novak is going to have to st- get a little bit compromised. It might just be over you know, fatigue. I don't think he's going to lose interest, though, right now. So it's pretty cool to see how, how this plays out. I mean, I guess Medvedev, to me, comes to mind because of what he's done in New mm-hmm. York before. But I, again, I don't feel like confident. It would have to be like, okay, Djokovic went five, had a weird match, and now, and something's a little tweaked, and then Medvedev steps in and, and serves lights out and plays, you know, one of those matches of a lifetime sort of thing. Um, I don't. That's see- why I think the Olympics he might be more vulnerable to out of three. Best you of know, three, whereas yeah. the U.S. Open in the heat, three out of five, he's so fit to beat him on. He's such a phenomenal hardcore mover. That's going to be real real hard yeah i think if he goes deep in olympics he might have to think about skipping cincinnati i mean it's it's really piling up right now but he looks perfectly fit so this is just this is really just crazy what's going on with him um Nine yeah, it's crazy. Also, matches. you can never factor in the pressure. Remember Serena, the Vinci match at the mm-hmm. Open, where people were looking past Vinci, but the pressure did did get to her a little bit there. Mm-hmm. So you just don't know. As you get closer, the pressure gets ratcheted up. It's just there's no way to know because it's Labor's the last guy to win the first three slam, the last man to win the first three slams of the year. So it's I just know. uncharted territory in, in you know in, in decades. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Well, we'll close it on that. Maybe we'll get back together soon to uh, talk about what happened at Wimbledon over this weekend because it's bound to be exciting. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Richard, for joining. I really appreciate it. You guys keep working hard, and I will talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Court podcast is a wrap. Thanks for listening to our Wimbledon edition of the Lucky Let Court podcast. We are so jazzed and looking forward to these semifinals. They are going to be incredible. Stay tuned to us on the website at www.tennisnow.com for more information on what's going to happen in the next few days. You can also find us on social at facebook.com slash tennisnow at tennis underscore now. Also hit us up on Apple Podcasts. We love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Um, just go into your Apple Podcast, type in Lucky Let Court Podcast, and voila, you shall find us. We're also on Spotify or wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Enjoy the final four days of Wimbledon 2021.